0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing this fine day?
1: I'm doing fine, Nathan. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. It's nice and sunny out, and I've got client calls booked all day, and I just want to go out and ride my motorcycle.
1: Well, it is cold and foggy because I live in San Francisco, and um, I'm going to be indoors most of the day anyway, but um, I, will, I will be going outside. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in our special bonus tip as to One reason I might be going outside, and it has nothing to do with cannabis, nothing.
0: (laughs) Okay, make sure that you stay tuned to the end of the show to find out why David's going outside today. What do we got on the agenda for this week's episode?
1: So every marketer has their favorite books and experts, and one of mine is Dr. Robert Cialdini. Uh, who wrote Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. It's a classic, and I'm sure many of you have read it and found it useful. But that's not his only book. Um, Dr. Cialdini got together with a couple of friends, a prof and a consultant from the UK, Steve Martin. No, not that Steve Martin. And a prof from the UCLA Business School, Dr. Noah Goldstein, And they put together a neat book called The Small Big. It's unique as far as I know because it lists little things you can do or changes you can make to turn a no into a yes. And for some reason, it was very hard to find when I got my copy a few years ago. Luckily, it's really easy to buy on Amazon, even as a Kindle. We'll put a link in the show notes. And here's something else that's really easy to get, and I truly hope you get it. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is a little different from what we usually talk about or what I've heard anyone else talk about in copywriting. It's not about hooks or bullets or storytelling or smart hacks to make an upsell bring in more revenue, although it is a little bit. Um, Before we get into this, I want to point out that these little hacks we're talking about today by themselves are not designed to make money for you. They're not. Instead, these are what i would call strategic tactics and by that i mean little things that can turn the tide someone's on the fence and this happens they might fall into your camp what's so appealing about them to me is they have all been proven through research experiments and and they ring 100% true to repeated experience on my part over the years these tactics were not originally developed for copywriting but For persuasion at large, often in large organizational settings, but it's easy to see how they can be transformed into powerful boosters for copy that's fundamentally sound to begin with. So, with that, let's get started. Our first tip is creating maximum credibility for the expert in your copy. What's one small thing you can do to build your prospects? confidence in the expert in your copy. Or if you're writing the letter for yourself, build your prospect's confidence in your own expertise. And here's why this matters so much. In situations where people make decisions, the single biggest factor is almost always confidence. Now, this isn't true as much in emergency or disaster situations where a short clock is ticking and urgency is super high. But in most cases, confidence rules the day, right? Well, kind of, sort of. When an expert is giving someone else advice, there are two kinds of confidence that matter. First, the expert's own confidence. And second, the confidence displayed by the person giving that advice. So, Nathan, if you're giving me advice, there's my confidence in you, and how much confidence I perceive you have yourself in the advice you're giving me. Two kinds of confidence. And it's a really granular difference, but it's usually important because how much confidence I have in you will be determined to a degree by how much confidence I perceive you have in yourself. So far, so good. Now, let's take this out of the person-to-person real-life realm and into copy. With copy... The person getting the advice, of course, is the prospect. So you want their confidence in the expert in your copy, the voice of authority to the prospect, to be as high as possible. Again, to beat this to death, you want the prospect to feel as much confidence as possible so they'll be more likely to buy. But here comes the twist. As for your expert, either the person you're writing about, if you're writing copy for a client, or yourself, if you're making the direct pitch you're own voice in the copy everyone would logically assume you want your expert to be supremely confident almost at a superhuman level right i mean let's say you sell a product called summertime axle grease you don't want the expert in your copy to go "Hmm, i I guess this axle grease is pretty good Uh, well it does have an expiration date and um I'm not sure if it's three years or seven years. It is an odd number. I remember that. Um, and I'm pretty sure you can use this on all kinds of axles. I mean, do bicycles have axles? I, I guess they do, but they're so short. I don't know if they need axle grease or not. But trust me, this is really dope axle grease. You don't want your expert to stumble around like you just got hit over the head with a number 42 axle spindle babbling like a fool. That's not going to help. But here's the twist. According to research, and according to everything I've seen and experienced in this short life of mine, you actually don't want your expert to be so confident there's no room for that person, the expert, to doubt. Either let's go back to the world of summertime axle grease, and let's compare two versions of what your expert could say, to make the point. Version A. He says... This is the best axle grease on the market. End of story. It's better than anything else for large axles, small axles, medium axles, or anything in between. You won't find a better one anywhere. That's a fact. Or version B. This is a superior axle grease, and from my research, I would say, without a doubt, it is the best on the market. However, it's summertime axle grease, and if you're going to use axle grease in a sub-zero environment, I would say it's probably the best since viscosity shifts at four degrees above zero. You need to watch out for that. And I haven't seen test results for those conditions. So outside of sub-zero conditions, I give this axle grease my full stamp of approval. Now, what's the difference between version A and version B? Well, for one thing, version B, the expert shows his expertise by acknowledging the one condition where this might not be the best axle grease. And it gives a reason why that sounds like it comes from a true expert. Now, in case anyone here is thinking of getting axle grease or is an actual axle grease expert, this example is for illustration purposes only. I know nothing about viscosity and temperature. I made it up to make a point. And our imaginary product, after all, is called summertime axle grease. So it's reasonable to wonder about using it in cold winter climate. That's not what this is about. The thing I want you to get out of this is not the the across-the-board confidence in his expert makes him more believable. The fact that he didn't know something or he was unsure about something makes him more believable and gives you greater confidence in him because this is the way real experts are. They know what they know, but they also know what they don't know, and they're willing to admit it. In fact, they feel, as an expert, they have an obligation to admit the range of what their expertise is and not to necessarily apply what they're saying outside that range. Now, what I'm telling you about prospect confidence was also confirmed on something other than Axel Grace, actually by a research experiment on a topic explained in some detail in the book by Dr. Cialdini and friends. The uncertainty of an expert in a small area that the sale does not hinge on actually builds more confidence, both in real life and from my experience and from the social science experiment mentioned in the book.
0: For copywriters, it's important to have empathy with the person that's reading. And the one thing that they're lacking is confidence. They wouldn't be searching for a solution if they were confident in themselves uh, to make the decision. They wouldn't be reading your sales letter or your sales page if they were already confident in their buying decision. So whether they're trying to figure out the perfect honeymoon vacation, or they're trying to figure out which type of axle grease to buy, or which type of online course is going to best get them the, the results that they desire... The, the number one thing that they're feeling is a sense of inconfidence. They don't feel confident in themselves to make the right decision yet. So they're looking for somebody who can help them. And what they're really looking for is that confidence. They want to know that you're confident and they want to know that by purchasing whatever your offer is, that will instill that sense of confidence in them. So a lot of times what we're actually selling is confidence. And if we don't have the confidence even if it's just very subtly, I I see a lot of newbie copywriters and they get on the call with a potential client and they expose their own lack of confidence in their work. And that's going to make the client say, okay, I'm going to go find somebody else. So if we're not confident in the offer, if we don't show confidence, if, if we're using an expert or something like that, if we're not conveying that confidence, we're not creating that bridge from where the reader is now to where they want to be.
1: Right. But what do you think creates more confidence, like getting on the call? Even if you're a newbie, let's say you came out of the financial planning world and you're talking to someone who is a financial planner and wants happy and they say, so... um, do you think you could do financial copying, and you might say well yeah if if it's for selling insurance based products or or even you know series seven securities products, yeah, if it's macroeconomics, if it's market forecasting, that's not really my area of expertise, but you know, as far as financial planning for individuals, yeah, as opposed to Well, I used to be a financial planner, so yeah, I can write about anything financial.
0: Uh, It depends on who the person you're talking to. But for me, if you're willing to say, hey, if this is what you're looking for, I'm perfect for you. But if this is what you're looking for, I'm probably not the right guy. For me, I just like to be honest with that that type of stuff. I don't like writing in the financial niche at all. So when I tell people, when I'm talking to them, I'm just like, Hey, this is just not my thing. But that does create more confidence because I think that if someone's wise to, uh, if the, if their bullshit detector is up and you say, Oh, I can write anything. They're going to be like, Oh, okay. This is probably not the person for me. But if they, but if you're honest with them and they get that from you and you're like, Hey, I'm really confident in doing this. This other area is probably not my expertise. You probably don't want me for that. But if you want this, yeah, I'm totally confident in that. That sounds a lot more true than oh, I can do anything.
1: Yeah, and and that's what the research proves too. So I guess we're all on the same page. But you know, if if you can do anything and this doesn't apply to you, more power to you, huh? Okay. So let's let's go to number two, how to keep them keeping on. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Uh, One of the biggest problems for people who sell courses, do live training, um, coaching, um, like me, um, uh, online courses is to keep your prospect going. Because, you know, they, they run into speed bumps, they hit plateaus, as we talked about, or, you know, it's not a habit they already have and, you know, life interferes. So this tip gives you a way to maximize getting other people to take action and to follow through. And it's not only useful in sales copy, but also in online courses and live training. Here's the background. Uh, Cialdini and his friends talk about an experiment at a hotel. Okay. Um, And if you've been to a hotel in the last, (laughs) this is like before the pandemic, remember when we used to go to hotels? Um, if you go to a hotel, in your room, there's, there might be this very flowery sounding card saying, we really care about the environment, so please don't throw your towels on the floor or ask them to make, you know, put this card in your bed, and, and so forth. Um, they, they wanted to find a better way to get people from having needless laundry and cleaning done. And at this experiment... Now I don't think Cialdini did this experiment. He found it in the literature and he reported on it. I, It was hard to tell which ones he and his colleagues worked on or not. But anyway, what happened was when people checked in, they had three groups. The first group, some of them, first group, they were asked to check a box on a card saying, I hereby promise I will reuse my towels rather than throw them on the floor. And I don't need to have my sheets changed every day. That was what they... On a box then there was a second group asked to do the same thing check the same box with the same language and they were given a sticker to wear saying i'm doing my part to help the environment the third group and this is crucially important because this is where a lot of people trying to use this influence technique screw up the third group was not asked to check any boxes or make any promises about specific things like towels and sheets. They were simply given the sticker to wear, a sticker which stated they were doing their part to save the environment. I mean, that should work, right? Well, not exactly. Here's what happened. The people who both checked the box and got the sticker as a group had the highest percentage of not actually asking to have their own towels and sheets changed in the room every day. And this might seem like a really stupid experiment to you, but I think you'll see the value of what they found when we consider how this applies to copy. Because there are two simple ideas at work here. First, the idea of micro commitments, small action. If you take an action, you commit to do a small thing, like not change the towels and sheets every day, you'll be more likely to follow through and do things that save energy consumption by the hotel like turn off the lights when you leave the room second the power of public display of a commitment the sticker if you're wearing a sticker says you care about the environment you're more likely to do things consistent with the sticker says but an interesting thing people who did not take the action check the box make the promise were at the bottom of the list of actually towels and sheets They were lower than the people who checked the box but did not get the sticker. And based on what we know in copywriting, this is entirely predictable. Giving people a general slogan, this big conceptual virtue signaling idea by itself is pretty much a waste of time. But asking them to take specific action and then backing it up with a slogan they display publicly A slogan which now has a specific meaning to them and which is tied to a commitment they've already made is a great way to get people doing more towards what you want them to do. Now, the obvious way we do this in copy, one obvious way, the most obvious way, is with upsells. When you buy, say, a bottle of a supplement, you know, before you complete your transaction, you're offered three or six more at a discount, and customers act on these offers. The first purchase, of course, is the micro-commitment that leads to further action. In fact, as I was putting this whole thing together, I started wondering about whether one of my clients could offer a t-shirt for multiple bottles to increase consumption and lifetime value of a customer even more. Uh, in my work. I'm thinking of suggesting this to my client, a t-shirt with the words, I use prebiotics to help me get the most out of my other supplement might be too corny or too personal or TMI, but by using the same idea in online courses where after the person completes the first step, they get a sticker they can you know, put on their Facebook page. And I think we've seen some of those um, that could reduce refunds. It could increase customer value. And who knows? even actually get people to finish the course.
0: I think the underlying thing here is identity and consistency. If you can get someone to identify as something and take a small action to be consistent with that identity, then asking them later to take a larger action to stay consistent is what makes it easier for them to take that larger action
1: later. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can really cement in an identity with with a sticker or something else they can display publicly. Mm-hmm. And you know the the thing is, to me this this doesn't work. I'm I'm one of those people outside the bell curve or something. But you know you see people say I voted or I got a vaccine or I don't have herpes or something like that. You know they were the- <laughs> well I made up that last. All <laughs> right, um, let's go to the third one. I mean it's true, but I don't actually have a sticker like. Okay. Um, Three, um, getting people to join the group of rebel individualists, also from the book. This one's pretty cool because it takes advantage of two contradictory aspects of human nature. On one hand, going along with the crowd, you know, getting with the program, since after all, we are herd animals. And secondly, being an individual. What was the guy's name in Atlas Shrugged, who is um, John Galt? yeah John gold ah uh, I'm an individual, I'm not a sheep, okay so here's how this this really cool technique plays out. On the one hand, people like social proof and tend to follow the crowd and, and look at all the people who proudly proclaim they're living for the weekend, probably after they saw it on the TV commercial, right? Um, not too many people brag about living for Tuesday, um, so in general, it's a lot easier to sell someone something that 80,000 or 80 million people have already bought than it is to sell them something only eight people have bought. That's one hand, social proof, herd mentality. On the other hand, people like to be special. They like to think of themselves as individual, making their own choices. No one likes to think of themselves as sheep, except maybe sheep, but they're not people and we don't know if sheep really think anyway, do we? I don't think so. So how do we appeal to both of these, these things at the same time? And this was a question researchers struggled with as reported in the book. And they tried a bunch of things and they came up with a really neat answer, ingenious answer. Frame doing what you want to get people to do as being a rebel against the crowd. This can work both ways, and it's in the framing. And this one, I'm going to go over it slowly and a few times because it took me a while to wrap my mind around it. It might take you too, but it is so such a good idea. It's all in the framing. Let's say you have a popular membership site called the Facebook Doorbuster Tricks Course. I purposely chose that name because I can't. As bad as some of the course names out there, I can't imagine anyone has that one, and you do, you're getting free advertising, so leave me alone. Okay. Um, But let's say you have this site, and instead of focusing entirely on the positives, if it's popular, the huge number of people who join the site, try including a line that points out the negatives of not joining. This is only if it's really popular, like people... Who decided not to join Facebook Doorbuster Tricks course are closed minded when it comes to finding new ways to close sales on Facebook. Simply put, those folks are missing out. Okay, now I want to be real clear about something. This is not your hook. It's not the main theme of your copy. It's not your headline. It's not the eyebrow above your headline. It's one small thing to get some people off the fence. Let's look at the other side of it. Suppose you have a new idea and most people aren't really familiar with it. You can take the opposite approach. Include a line making the small group you have who have joined your membership site special and unique. Rebels against the vast majority of narrow-minded sheep. You don't have to be that blatant about it either. You could say, when you join, you'll be part of a small elite group. Getting the sales on Facebook that everyone else has already given up on. This is kind of counterintuitive because normally when you have something popular, you want to talk about the benefit. And normally when something's not popular, you get a little desperate and talk about the negatives of not doing it. But actually, just the opposite. If it's really popular, you want to make sure to emphasize the negatives of not doing it. It's not popular yet. Focus on the benefits of being one of the few that is doing it. It's worth the effort, I'm sure of that. And for what it's worth, it was proven in tests by Dr. Cialdini and friends. One more time, here's an easy way to remember this. When the market is positive, accentuate the negative. That is, the disadvantage of not doing it. When the market is negative, accentuate the positive. That is, the advantage of doing it anyway.
0: Me and you are both music nerds. Yeah. I, I see this play out in the music industry. There's the pop music that everybody likes because everybody likes it. It gets played on the top 40 and everybody knows who this particular artist is or this particular song is. So of course it's a good song. So of course you like it. What the hell? <laughs> but then there's the, I love this band and nobody I know knows who they are. And we have a small, this band has a small, but loyal following. And when that band starts to get popular, sometimes we feel like, oh no, the world is finding out about our secret. So there's that, there's, there's two different ways of looking at it. There's the, um, this band is good because everybody loves them. And then there's the, this band is my favorite band because nobody else knows about them except for our small elite group of people. So. And the thing about it for me is I think the, the relationship, the uh, sense of identity that people get from the small following, the this is only me and, and a couple hundred thousand people know about this, that's a stronger sense of endearment and can be leveraged and utilized in a different way, but it's just as powerful as the big uh, everybody knows who this pop star is type of music
1: yeah and it's great that you bring it into popular culture like music because there it's like the normal way of thinking about it is if i'm not in the billboard top 10 i'm nobody but you don't you don't need to look at it this this gives you another option that can help you grow really well anyway Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so um man you brought a lot of really good examples to the table today one last thing i was going to ask about this though the the um The uh, rebel individuals, I think one thing to consider is if you're writing for like a Western culture, that makes a lot of sense, but there are other cultures in the world that uh, a large part of their identity is the fact that they're part of the group. There are other cultures where um, being an indiv- individualist is kind of shunned. And so depending on where you're writing or who, wh- what company, what country you're writing for, uh, can- consider what their values are.
1: Right. I'd be really careful, for example, about using this in Japan where consensus is so important. Yeah, good point. So we're we're really talking about English-speaking countries and in Western European countries, but yeah, yeah, your mileage may vary. You really have to be careful, or not be careful, but you know, factor in what you just said, and that's good. Now we do have a bonus, but I'm I'm going to need you to I'll role play with me a little bit. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to demonstrate a little thing that I'd never heard about before, but makes such perfect sense that you can do to increase your creativity, like, instantly. Um, And for our listeners, I'm putting this book, a small, big, right over my head to um, indicate a very low ceiling. And I'll explain why in a second. Um, uh, And Nathan, I want you to ask me to tell you as many ways of saying the color blue as I, as, you, as I can think of.
0: David, can you please tell me how to say the color blue in as many ways as you can think of?
1: Um, sky blue, um, indigo. That's, that's all I can think of. Okay, thank you. Now, let's do number two. Um, for our listeners, I have removed the book from above my head, and I have 10-foot ceilings in my house. Okay? And Nathan, I would like you to ask me exactly the same question.
0: David, can you please tell me as many different ways that you can think of? Uh, explain the color blue.
1: Sure. Sky blue, baby blue, powder blue, deep blue, azure, sapphire, cyan blue, aquamarine, turquoise, marine blue, ultramarine, lapis lazuli, navy, and indigo. Wow. Wow. What a difference a higher ceiling makes! Here's the point: Doctor Cialdini and his friends reported a research finding that when you increase the ceiling height of the room that you're in—I mean, when you get in a room with a higher ceiling—it's not really a good idea to put like a hydraulic press on the ceiling. And put, you know, <laughs> um, people have more access to their creativity. Now, just think about this: Isaac Newton. He actually saw an apple fall. He he did not get hit in the head. That's um, that's not what really happened. That's just the, you know, urban legend. But he was at his family farm outdoors in 1665 when he saw an apple fall from a tree, and he came up with the theory of gravity, and which became the law of gravity after this, like confirmed. When you're outdoors, what's the ceiling? The sky is the ceiling. Lots of room. What do you think would have happened if he was up in a cramped attic in the farmhouse reading and he saw an apple fall? Who knows? Maybe we would not know about gravity to this day. I mean, we probably would, but maybe he wouldn't have discovered it. I've experienced the same thing. When I go outside, when I go outside to the yard um, and there's lots of space, including space above my head, I get more copy ideas, more music ideas. I can solve problems better. Um, and one of my most creative clients, a real visionary guy, told me yesterday he has eight-foot ceilings in his house, but when he wants to develop new ideas, he always goes outside for a walk. Now, there's also the physical motion part, but again, it, the, the, this idea immediately resonated with him. So give it a try yourself, and let me do a quick summary, okay? All right, one have your expert mostly be confident, but have your expert or you disclose where he or she or you are less than 100% confident, and your prospects will have more confidence in that expert as a result of that disclosure. Number two, get a micro-commitment. Have someone take a little action step and give people a ready-made way to proclaim it to the world, like a sticker or something they can put on their feed, Facebook, Facebook, website, you know, their uh, profile, uh, you'll get more follow through. And number three, for popular things, emphasize the negatives of not going along. And for things that are not as popular, emphasize the positives of going along. And the bonus tip is higher ceilings for greater creativity. The book is called The Small, Big, Small Changes That Spark. Big Influence, and we will put a link to that in the show notes.
0: Awesome, David. I'm going to just co-sign. Cialdini is one of my favorite authors as well. I loved Influence. He also has another book uh, that he wrote with these two, uh, Steve Martin and Noah Goldstein. It's called Yes, Mm -hmm. 50 Scientifically Proven Ways to Be Persuasive. Just like Influence, it has some overlap between the three books. Um, but these three books, they all have their own uh, distinct way of laying out information and different case studies to to back it up. And um, a lot of copywriters I know, they have influence, but they haven't checked out these other two books. And I think these other two books are, I, I actually favor them over influence. These two, I like them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, the thing about them is you have to read this one slowly. And there's, I guess there's about 50 chapters in this one too. See that's right, and yeah, there are and fifty-two, and you have to think it through. I mean, the hardest part of doing this was saying, "Okay, I get it." How do we apply this to copy? So it it's a slower read with with influence, the science of persuasion, or whatever it's exactly called. It's pretty obvious, pretty. It's a lot clearer. These are these are a little more fine tuned, but yeah, every single one of them is worth reading. So thank you, Doctor Cialdini and Steve Martin, not that Steve Martin, and Noah Goldstein.
0: Awesome. All right. And if you, the listener, you want to listen to more episodes of this podcast, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, we will catch you later.
1: Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on GarfinkelMedia.com and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to GarfinkelMedia.com and fill out the form. That's GarfinkelMedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriter's Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.